0: This podcast contains adult themes, and as the anger starts to ramp up, so does the language. Welcome to Perfectly Murderous. Ciao e benvenuto a Perfectly Murderous, come Ryan Stevenson e il mio buon amico, Sandy King. Buongiorno Sandy! Um, <laughs> <kia> ora, Ryan?
1: <laughs> um... <laughs> Your Italian has really improved quite a lot in the past few weeks.
0: Oh, I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just been um, had a quick look at Duolingo for five minutes, and it just sort of seemed to come quite naturally. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've pretty much picked that up now. <laughs> yeah, I'll move on to another language next week. I think. Yeah. yeah. Italian tick.
1: <laughs> Challenge
0: accepted. <laughs> so I did say in the opening then. Welcome to perfectly murderous. Well, I think I said that, but um,
1: you actually asked me if I completed my tax return by the end of the twenty seventeen <laughs> fiscal year. Sorry, that's that's awkward.
0: <laughs> you are doing the taxes for the show, aren't you? Right, you've you've submitted those. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I've got welcome to perfectly murderous, or should I be saying welcome to getting away with murder, as we discovered last week.
1: Yes, the book has a dual identity. It
0: does, yeah.
1: <laughs> but we're the old school, right? We're going, we're we're going back to the origins, keeping it real, staying with the Amazon e-reader version.
0: Well, we're going to read from the book, but I think we mainly uh, don't want to change the email address. It'd be quite a lot of admin.
1: Yeah, I would really prefer to avoid that admin. <laughs> Perfectly murderous <laughs> at Outlook dot co dot nz. And so it shall stay forever, please. I like it. Also, getting away with murder at Outlook.co.nz is not snappy.
0: Yeah, and it might arouse suspicions from authorities, perhaps.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and to be honest, they're already looking at us quite closely over that whole tax thing. So (laughs) Let's keep it low-key.
0: Last time, we, we looked at the new book and the cover, and we read chapter four as well. So, Sandy, it's test time, as always. What happened in Chapter 4?
1: Ah, yes. Um, Chapter 4 was a land of contrasts with a variety of cuisine representing all of its rich cultural (laughs) heritage. In conclusion, um, if I were to tell you what happened in Chapter 4, I'd ruin the surprise. (laughs) Does that work? (laughs) You're going to need a little more? (laughs) Right, okay. Chapter 4. Our hero or anti-hero wakes up in a hospital ward with a painful realization that something terrible has happened the night before at some point it sounds like he has well he he remembers that he's lost his wife Mm -hmm. and at some point I think he's left the hospital and then been brought back in by the police or by the hospital staff I don't remember but something a dark event has happened and he's convinced that the hospital, in the form of a fairly violent orderly and a, a mousy administrative type, holding him against his will, he's he's intubated, he's stuck in a bed, and he feels like he needs to get out and also retrieve his wife's body and get her out as well. There's a a, a sense of panic. Did I get the main points?
0: Yeah, that's not not a bad little summary there. So I think, and yet the only other bits to add to that are that the the nurse says that he had a heart attack or a stroke. We don't know which one yet.
1: Oh, yes, yes, the vague diagnosis. Yes,
0: one of one of the two, and yes, he's he's got a rather a negative view of the hospital staff, <laughs> calling them bastards, all of them. So. Yes, and you're right that the orderly man handed him back into back into the bed and then he was quite rude to the official who came round. And then he tried to swing a punch at her. Oh, yes. And ended up getting sedated and he floated off back into the darkness again.
1: That sounds like a good cue to start chapter five.
0: Yeah. So I think I, we just one thing, we, we talked to our sympathies were kind of very much with the character on the first three chapters. And especially mm. because you know a lot of this is real. And then chapter four, you perhaps don't agree with the character. You can see where he's coming from a bit, but don't necessarily have as much sympathy with him in that chapter. But chapter five, I think we, uh, we revisit the slumber and we revisit. We have another flashback. So, um, yeah, quite a, a heartbreaking chapter coming up and quite a raw chapter that's probably quite real. Very much in the sort of similar vein to chapter one. So this is chapter five of perfectly murderous slash getting away with murder. The induced sleep lasted for hours. But he wasn't rested. His confused thoughts turning over and over in his head. His brain strained to look back to earlier events trying to make sense of anything, scrambling for memories, something that would explain what had happened. Images began to form, but they were so vague. Anne. He could see Anne now. Everything revolved around Anne. Anne in the hospital. What had happened to Anne? His brain searched for more images, for answers. But it wasn't easy as the black clouds rolled in, in and out to obscure his thoughts and destroy what he was trying to concentrate on. There was a tiny room, so dark in there, I could see her bed. She isn't moving. She's near the end, struggling for breath. So hot in there, can't breathe. The images eventually became sharper and he remembered how grossly overheated the room was, with the door firmly closed to give her some privacy during those last hours. The air in the room was stifling. It failed to move at all. It felt thick and heavy, almost impossible to breathe in. Her hand. Yes, I can remember holding her hand, touching the ring, and feeling totally crushed, not being able to talk to her. Not that I could think of anything to say at the end. His vision changed and he moved away from the bed, almost as if he were a spectator, an observer watching the scene unfold. He could see himself sitting by her bed, he could recall tenderly running his fingers over the wedding band he'd given her nearly a quarter of a century before, a token of his love, and thinking that it would soon be all that was left from that day, a ring that brought back memories of their marriage ceremony, and those fateful words that struck him deep into his heart that night, till death do us part. Hm. didn't think that would ever happen, such a fool, thought life would go on forever, just words, till death do us part, something I said without really thinking about them that reality had finally caught up with him. And now, they really meant something. He watched himself look down at her fingers. They were laying in his palm, realizing there was no reaction from those long, beautiful fingers now. They were limp in his hand. No life in them, no feeling. He watched himself weep as he realized she didn't respond to his touch anymore. She was beyond his reach, beyond his help now. She was drifting away, soon to be gone forever. It was like watching an out-of-body experience he could see himself as if he were another person, but he knew he was really at her side. Yeah, it's a quite a heartbreaking start to the the chapter there, Sandy.
1: It's very yeah, it's very very real, isn't it? It's very candid. Mm. A way, I suppose, of of just dealing with all these thoughts that at some point have, have been in mm. in his head for real. You know, obviously, this is the sort of bit where knowing that there's this autobiographical element really changes the experience of of hearing the
0: story mm. oh definitely
1: 25 years is a very long time isn't
0: it yes i can actually remember the wedding because this this was 10 years ago and then 25 years before that's so a 35 or well, no i can't I can, yeah i i can only vaguely remember it I, I thought i was a bit older than mm. maybe like four or five or something like that but yeah I was I, definitely a little child. I remember running in the garden and climbing a tree. Mm. That's a, that's about my, my sort of memories of the day.
1: Yes, I have a, well, a strange coincidence. My mum's second marriage was when I was almost exactly the same age. And I remember uh, running, jumping, climbing trees and generally doing everything I could to not be in wedding photographs.
0: Yeah, I think I was the same. <laughs> Except I think I was the... um. Actually, I might have been that show-off kid who was in every photo. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm the same, except no, no, actually, I was the complete opposite. Uh, most (laughs) Most of their wedding photos heavily feature a girl who was, like, I think a classmate of mine at nursery school or something that they'd asked to be a bridesmaid. And essentially, she was that kid. She was happy to sit around and model. But I don't think anyone in the family saw her ever again after that day. So, <laughs> it's, it's quite odd.
0: Um, the other thing that sort of struck me as well as we've gone, he's using this sort of sedated state quite nicely and sort of with the narrative to flick between these quite real moments mm. to using the sedation as a way of demonstrating or as a metaphor for grief. And then kind of flicking between them with the reality of that chapter four of his predicament in the hospital, sort of in the middle. But it's quite nice how the chapters are sort of, there's, there's quite a noticeable contrast between them as you go through.
1: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's very much how semi-consciousness does work, doesn't it? I mean, I haven't had a, mm. a, a general anaesthetic, at least not in a medical context, but... It's exactly how I experience, you know, kind of a, a painful wake up in the morning when you when you're sort of drifting in and
0: out of consciousness or, mm.
1: yeah, kind of thoughts just floating past the window of your brain.
0: I imagine it's probably quite similar to grief as well in that imagine you get waves and you keep revisiting and keep thinking about the same situations or scenarios or things you wish you had done or hadn't done. And I imagine there's a lot of revisiting, uh, which is kind of where we're at at the moment.
1: The image, funnily enough, you talk about um, revisiting the image that came to my mind was a Christmas Carol when he when he sort of describes this out of body experience of watching himself as a younger man, albeit just a few hours younger. Hmm. And there's a you know then a flashback within a flashback going back to the wedding day and the sense of oh maybe I could have done things
0: differently, definitely. And the out of body experience is quite interesting in in this chapter, and how it's kind of. Links back to that disjointed or disconnected from that that situation now. Mm. Wow. Over the previous few days when he'd visited, he remembered thinking she seemed to grow smaller, almost as if she was evaporating before his eyes, fading, disappearing little by little every hour. She was now so frail, so pale. It took a long time to finally realize he was watching her die. observing every motion of her slow, protracted, painful death, every little movement noted and remembered. Watching her breathing grow progressively more laboured during that evening, he finally realised she must have stopped moving about some hours before without him even noticing. So still now, just laying in the bed. is not real. The automatic gesture of her breathing was the only thing proving that she was. there was still a small spark of life left in the frail body. A tiny spark that would finally be extinguished that night. It was almost voyeuristic as he watched from afar, watching himself bend forward to kiss her forehead gently. He wanted her to know that he still loved her. Listening carefully, he could just about hear those final last words. Fascinated, he watched himself as he spoke. Can you hear me? You know I still love you. I'll always love you. He choked up and barely managed to continue. I hope you know that. I'd hate you to think I didn't care for you even now. That thought brought a faint smile to his face, but it was a smile fringed with immense sadness and the tears formed again. He could clearly remember thinking, keep fighting, stay alive, keep going Anne, please. I know there's still some more hope and you might pull through even now. Don't give up, please. Watching as he held her hand, he saw himself raise it to his lips for a last kiss as he knew she was clinging to the very last vestiges of life. The tears ran down his face made him look so sad. The realisation that he knew at that point he was going to lose the most precious thing in his life. And he could so clearly remember those last thoughts. He felt destroyed at the inevitable outcome. Something he could do nothing about. Those thoughts so clear now, rattled around in his head. Stay with me. Even if it's just for a few more hours. I can't bear to lose you now. But it was not to be. And that's the end of chapter five there, Sandy.
1: Mm. Really looping back on on the first chapter, I mean, a lot of those thoughts are very much what I remember from the the opening of the book. Mm. We, we've, we've been given a little bit of extra information. but
0: I think that's it. You can have, like we said, you can have revisiting the situation, but with, yeah, a little bit more info or a little bit something else remembered and very much he's stuck in this either a grief circle of keep mm. revisiting these sad moments and then rethinking it or very much the, you know, the sedative you know his thoughts just rattling around while he's sedated
1: have you ever had a memory that you didn't you don't experience in the first person yeah like is there any moment of your life that you can look back and imagine how you looked at that moment
0: yeah i think so very early memories oh, that's interesting i think i've got quite early memories there was one actually it must be a very early memory because i remember when and, and memory is such a uh <laughs> you know Who's to say that your memories are true or and it's not something you've remembered incorrectly? Yeah, unreliable witness. Definitely. But I remember my parents standing in my old living room and it, me and my brother, and we were standing there for a photo. But I, it's like I'm the one taking the photo. <laughs> Which <laughs> presumably you weren't at that age. No, I, I'm in the photo, but obviously it's, yeah, it's a weird memory to have. And I could have unsure about how much of that's true or how much I've just...
1: Yeah, it sounds like you've seen the photo.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: but it is odd how that how that happened. What about you? No, I was thinking that I don't I don't have any memories like that. It, interesting when you talk about very young ones, maybe one or two, but I don't think there are any memories. I think it's more sort of an imagination of how that must have looked. And it needs to be when I'm so young that I don't look anything like I do now. Otherwise, somehow. It doesn't work. It doesn't feel like a real memory anymore. Um, Mm. But I probably haven't ever been in a situation that's quite as intense as this one.
0: No, I don't think I have.
1: And obviously, to an extent, it's a literary device as well.
0: Yes. Yeah. Be interesting to know whether my dad does remember it like that. Mm. Right. You ready for chapter six?
1: Yeah, let's keep going.
0: Yeah. Brace yourself. I think we, we continue on. It was impossible to remember anything beyond that. Emotion overcame him, and the blackness returned. The trauma of the events had proved too much and he sank back into a coma, his body unable to resist the drugs. There were those same muffled whispers he could hear in the background. It must have been the medical staff checking on him, monitoring his progress, ensuring he remained in bed and didn't cause any further problems. But they need not have worried. His body was helpless against the drugs. Only his brain was active, but it was akin to an out-of-control machine, something that seemed to be operating independently for his body. It almost appeared to have its own agenda. He was trying to bring the thoughts of the hospital room back into focus, trying to find the images that had so upset and overwhelmed him. Unbeknownst to him, he was trying to find an answer to what had happened in that hospital room, how she had died, how he had reacted, and what had caused his accident to bring him back to that hated hospital. But his memory couldn't. There was nothing but a protective blackness caused by his inability to deal with their death, and now and then his memory would find an image, only for it to be lost as he tried to fit it into the sequence of events that had led to his hospital mission. Images floated in and out of his thoughts, and eventually his subconscious latched onto an image. It was the hospital room again. He was watching from afar once more, but slowly he was drawn into the room until he was sitting at her side. He could feel the palatable sadness that was overwhelming what was doing. He was holding her hand again. He recalled desperately wanting to talk to her, but he couldn't find the words this time. He choked up and lapsed into silence. It was a silence that was utterly deafening, so intense it made his ears ring. His thoughts seemed filled with the white noise that obliterated rational reason. To make matters worse, as he concentrated on how to communicate with Anne, he slowly became aware that there was a noise that pervaded every corner of the room, one he hadn't noticed before. A tiny, almost inaudible sound, The minute, soft, mechanical click of the clock facing him on the anemic green wall opposite. Click. Just counting down, it said. Click. Any second now. Click. Not long. Click. A bloody clock. Click. It seemed to be mocking him in that final countdown to a death. Click. It became an evasive sound he couldn't avoid, and in the end he couldn't hear anything else. It drove him mad, distracted him from what he was doing. He looked up and shouted at it. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. You don't need to rub it in. I know her time is short. You don't have to remind me all the time. Shut up. But it was all he heard. Click. 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 Mm.
1: We have some foreshadowing of events to come, I think. Not just the the clock driving him mad but his brain is being compared to an out of control machine mm. which in the context of a book called getting away with murder seems to be seems to be slightly getting the um getting the legal defense in early
0: yeah he's um yeah it's all starting to unravel a bit in his mind isn't it there and it's not just the grief it's the anger coming through
1: yes yes i mean um maybe the maybe the mousy official at whom a punch was swung got away lightly like by, by the standards of the clock, yes, it really, he really was was only doing his job.
0: I wonder if we're, um, the, the clock might be the uh, the second victim after Patrick Edwards potentially.
1: <laughs> a time to kill, <laughs> killing time. Is that a funnier joke? Oh, I like it. Um, okay,
0: I'll edit that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very grateful. He sat down again and buried his head in his hands at the futility of his actions. Frustrated with everything, he wanted to lash out at everyone and everything. The room, the clock, the hospital, even himself. His frustration growing into anger at his failure to save his wife. The room became more and more suffocating, the heat unbearable. His head throbbed. He felt sick and he could feel his heart pounding in his chest. He felt unwell, lightheaded, and now he feared he would pass out as the room started to swim before his eyes, the walls closing in on him air, must have some air, have to open the door, cool down, breathe again. Standing in the doorway he listened to sounds from the ward drifting in, eventually overpowering the incessant sound of the clock, sounds from people shuffling around trying not to disturb, tiny soft sounds, sounds of the night, not much but it was something to prove he wasn't alone, there was life out there after all, but there was no one in sight. He listened intently, distant sounds, secretive sounds, tiny sounds. Sounds of movement, people on rounds. Listen for them, ignore the clock. It will help me keep awake. Have to stay awake, so bloody tired. Can't think. But I can't sleep, not now. Not so near the end. Have to be here at the end. That's all I can do for her now. Finding a chair, he collapsed into it, closing his eyes for a moment. But fatigue overtook him and he drifted off in a fitful sleep, dreaming of their time together. After a few moments, his head fell onto his chest, waking him with a start. He gathered his thoughts as he realised he'd fallen asleep. Looking at a face, he started to remember and relive their past together. It was like looking at a private Fatal album. I had such a wonderful time with you. You saved me. Picked me up after I had such a bloody awful time with my first wife. I thought everything had ended then. My marriage finished. Losing my children, my house, my job, my money. But then I met you. You completed my life. Made it worth living again. But now I'm going to lose you as well. That is so unfair, so cruel. To find someone so perfect and then have you snatched away. And that thought hit him hard. The reality of his situation hurt far too much. And he hung his head knowing their time together was going to be counted in hours now. But the drugs took hold of him once more. It was all too much and the brain failed to function. He succumbed to the peace and safety of the darkness once more. And that is your end of chapter six, Sandy. Well, wow.
1: Chapter six became particularly atmospheric when about two thirds of the way into it, My building experienced a complete power cut (laughs) Um, and I suddenly found myself sitting in the dark, (laughs) the pitch black, listening to this very atmospheric story being narrated into my ears and some burglar alarms started going off in the distance and every so often just to complete the picture that the light will strobe on and off as someone obviously flicks the main power switch on the apartment trying to restart things
0: I kind of got an image of you sitting in the hospital corridor with all of this happening like a power cut in the hospital <laughs> corridor and your <laughs> the strip lights above your head power cut in a hospital corridor sounds like sounds like the title
1: of my second album. <laughs>
0: I'm in. I'm on the base. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, so he's definitely more angry than than frustrated at this point, right? We are we are sowing the seeds of what comes in the in the second and third part of the
0: book. Definitely, I think you're right. It's the it's the anger building, revisiting the same things, but it's it's angrier than before.
1: Mm-hmm. And interesting that he brings his first marriage into it.
0: Yes. Yeah. You saved me after I. had such a bloody awful time with my first wife my marriage finished lost his house and his
1: wife children money
0: yeah it would have been quite i know it was hard for my dad at that time it was me and my brother but there was a custody battle that was prolonged for a long time right yeah dad moved out the house and had to go find somewhere else i don't know about job and i presume money was lost as well obviously through sort of divorce but Mm -hmm. but yeah you start to see that his first wife creeping back into his thoughts the blame starting and the anger starting
1: do you appear in this story? Maybe you can't tell me for, for reasons of no spoilers, but uh, are you featured?
0: We we might get to that, Sandy. Oh, you tease.
1: <laughs> You're an enigma wrapped in a bubble, cloaked in <laughs> mystery, Ryan.
0: I'm certainly not a major character, but there is discussion further on. Oh. And um, you'll be pleased to know chapter seven continues in a similar vein with the anger building. <laughs>
1: is that what you've got me down as someone who just (laughs) really likes hearing about other people's
0: (laughs) anger i slightly resent that ryan um (laughs) you're really enjoying someone's misery in this next one sandy yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) if you're a fan of the the desperate tragedy and the all-encompassing grief you're this you've got a treat in store (laughs) i just want to get to the bit where you get talked about i mean i assume you must be talked about in fairly favorable terms because i've read your review of this book as has anyone who's seen the paperback copy (laughs) but you know for all that that's what i'm looking forward to i'm
0: saying i don't want to get your hopes up too much i'm certainly not a big part in it more kind of mentioned but well yeah we'll come to that yeah so, I've got two things for you, Sandy. Go on. The first thing, I wasn't 100% truthful with you last time. You bastard. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you sounded just like my dad. You you mousy official.
1: Sure. <laughs> you ticking clock.
0: <laughs> well, I opened up the package from my dad. And uh-huh. in, inside is a book, Getting Away With Murder. And you actually said it last time when you said a Robert Steele detective story, and you said, oh, that sounds like there's multiple books. Oh. And uh, you'd be right, Sandy. I'm you know, holding my hand the second story in the Robert Steele detective trilogy. Oh. Yeah. And what's it called? It's called Look Behind You. So on, on the front cover, there's a there's a street at nighttime. It's quite poorly lit. And there's a, a young woman in the in the fore of the picture looking over her shoulder. And then there's the long tall shadow of a silhouetted figure standing halfway up the road looking rather ominous.
1: Is your dad a big fan of 70s horror
0: movie? A, yeah, it might well be. So the, the tagline, this study of pure evil will make your blood run cold. Season 2 sounds
1: like it's going to be a rollercoaster. <laughs>
0: yeah. As far as I'm aware, this is completely fictional.
1: <laughs> I really hope so, having heard the cover described. <laughs>
0: But I'll read you the blurb if you want.
1: Go on, yeah, yeah. Hit me with the blurb.
0: Look Behind You tells the utterly gripping story of how a single act of unthinking anger leads to a savage accidental killing. Although the killer is soon identified, in his attempt to evade capture, he commits another, even more bloodthirsty crime. Robert Steele, the detective. Oh, that's the worst when that happens. No, you're trying to escape and you kill more people in even more bloodthirsty ways. <laughs>
1: exactly, you've accidentally savagely murdered someone. <laughs> <laughs> then, then every time you try, and, oh, it's like a, it's like a, like a French farce, isn't it? Every, <laughs> every time you try and cover up your savage accidental murder, you've, you find you turn around and there's another corpse just. <laughs> building up on this
0: huge pile <laughs> kind of a niche reference but it kind of reminds me of the is it the lady killers the old ealing comedy <laughs> yes, yes so yeah robert steele the detective pursues the psychopathic killer across three countries there is an astonishing twist in the middle of the story and an even more surprising one at the end look behind you <laughs> <laughs> wow just <laughs> <laughs> But but my... he's, he's not shy about his gifts. Is he's he? not. I, I bless my dad. Um, I remember going once to a family lunch, and I got my dad invited me to this lunch, and he said, "Oh, you're um, you're uh, your brother's got a an announcement to make at lunchtime, but I can't say no. It's not my news to tell. I'll I'll let your brother and uh and his wife say." <laughs> and you're like, oh. Geez, dad i wonder what that could be <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. i'll try very hard to look surprised when they tell me whatever it might be <laughs> was it a surprising revel no an astonishing revelation it was followed by an even more surprising my,
0: my brother had accidentally killed someone and then in his uh attempt uh... attempt to evade capture he accidentally yeah he accidentally killed someone else and it was a uh, quite a quite oh, a comedy of errors
1: what a butterfingers <laughs> dear me it's the worst
0: so sandy my second thing just to take us away from the stories and the grief because that's those chapters in getting away with murder are quite quite hard hitting those ones but uh yeah there's sort of well not really a, a happy story but something i just found amusing this week
1: <laughs> i'm concerned about where this is going now <laughs> uh, it's not really happy but it made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> said Ryan. Very much his father's son.
0: Someone was really suffering, there was some misery, and I loved it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Schadenfreude tape with Ryan Morgan. <laughs> I was watching um Fireman Sam with Finn and uh <laughs> Mainly, uh, I did a little little side fact. My uncle is uh, one of the animators on the original Fireman Sam. No, you didn't tell me this. Yeah, yeah. Brian Anderson, his name's names on the credits. My words. There's claims to fame all over the place. But um, so we're watching Fireman Sam. And I don't know if you what you remember of Fireman Sam, but I thought you'd appreciate this. Being in Italy, there's a character yeah. called Bella, and she's an Italian cafe owner. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no, I'm thinking about the fact that for, so, Five and Sound for anyone who hasn't seen it was an animated kids' TV series from the 80s, but like the early 80s before people had maybe started to come to the realization that defining people strictly by their nationality wasn't the nicest way of doing things. <laughs> so, I I'm guessing there's going to be some fun. (laughs) Yeah. Go on. (laughs) How bad does it get?
0: Well, I've got a quiz for you. Ah. So the character called Bella, in this episode, we learn her last name. And knowing the assumptions you've made, there perhaps might not have been the most PC times.
1: Bella Ferrari. Bella Cappuccino. (laughs) Bella Italia. (laughs)
0: You're so close.
1: Bella Mafia.
0: (laughs) Bella biscotto. <laughs> I don't know.
1: What have we gone with?
0: Bella lasagna.
1: <laughs> That's wonderful. You know, there's an, there's a professional Italian footballer whose name is Kevin Lasagna. That is fantastic. Gen, like, Kevin has become a, a bizarrely popular name in some parts of Ita- Italy. And yeah, Kevin Lasagna, which sounds... You, if, you, if, <laughs> if you told me that the third <laughs> instalment in the Robert Steele detective trilogy had a protagonist called Kevin Lasagna. I would probably mock your dad for his lack of creative talent or his absurd
0: mind. This guy's real. I just love the, the complete juxtaposition of those two names. They just don't go together at all. Yes.
1: Not <laughs> not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Kevin Finder's crispy pancakes. Now that's we can all agree is a logical yep. logical development.
0: That's that suits Kevin. <laughs> all right, Sandy. Well, as always, an absolute pleasure. And um likewise. Yeah. We can both look forward to the uh to the misery of chapter 7. Yay. Hey! With relish. <laughs> Yay. See you for the misery. <laughs> See you there, buddy. <laughs> Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Ciao.